What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 91 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Mike and I have got a bit of catching up to do, but once we get that out of the way, we'll talk about incorporating hi-hat splashes into your playing. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Michael Miley from the band Rival Sons. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Vic Firth Modern Jazz Collection. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, clean up your act, Dawson. <laughs> clean up your act. My goodness. How are you, buddy? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm recovered. I did a 24-hour trip to California and back uh, yesterday, which would have been Tuesday. Tuesday? Wednesday? Wow. Tuesday. And, and you were doing what there? Uh, one of our uh, former writers, Walid Rashidi, you might recognize his name. He wrote for us a lot name. in the early 2000s. He has since become Dr. Rashidi, and he teaches at the communications wow. department at uh, Cal State Fullerton. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they had a, so a grant to bring in a guest. He, he teaches about um, you know publications and things like that. So he had a grant to bring somebody in. He contacted me. He's like, hey, you want to come speak to my classes? I'm like, sure. Well, about what? How cool is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, what did you talk about? Uh, all of the students are, you know, communications majors. So various, various business, music industry, or not even necessarily music, just uh, communications as far as publicity or management, or you know, all the different areas that you can have a, an employment in communications. Okay. But our our session was just focused on publications. So it was a lot of like publicity discussions and you know what do's and don'ts of music management and things like that and. Just shared wow. shared my story because I I didn't go to communication school I didn't go to journalism school and all that so right. it was fun but you know I flew in I left New Jersey at seven a.m. I landed back in New Jersey at eight a.m. the next day. Wow, yeah, that was intense. Wow. <laughs> and did you feel like when you left there, just from the vibe you got from the students, did you feel like cool? That was worth it. I got my point across, and I think. That impacted at least a few of these guys. Yeah, totally. Because he he kept the the main session was like eighty couple students. Um, he kept the last twenty or thirty minutes for questions, and there were too many questions I couldn't answer them all. So it was it was great. Oh, that's great. And a couple of students came out afterwards and asked me follow up questions. So I felt like it was effective. You know, I'm not going to hit. Really cool. I'm not going to hit everyone because not everyone is interested in the music industry, but a few sure. of them are. And then the second class was a smaller class. It was a feature writing course. So nice. I just got more detailed in how I approached doing feature assignments, which was funny because I asked the professor, I was like, so you're, this is a feature writing. So what, you know, how long are the stories that they're writing? She's like, you know, 100 to 500 words. I'm like, hmm, uh, that's not a feature for us. <laughs> Features are 5,000 <laughs> words. Call that a, we call that a blurb. <laughs> yeah, that's a news update. But it was just funny because all the students were like, oh, 5,000 words. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, most of that is question and answer. You know, it's not Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. So I just kind of dug deeper into my approach to writing features. It was it was great. I like doing that kind of stuff. I mean, I've, I've mentioned before that I, as a kid, I was deathly afraid of public speaking. Right. Yeah. So now I, I take every opportunity I can get to do more of that and just get comfortable. And I I was I felt completely comfortable. So I think That's I think awesome. this show actually has helped as well because I I'm having to talk way more than I do. I mean, I I can go a whole day without saying a word to anybody and be completely you mean this podcast. comfortable. Yeah, doing this podcast. Yeah. Like every week, I've got to talk. I've got to contribute, and I've this actually had I've had people actually say, "Man, you need to talk more." I'm like, "Man, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> I'm not it good at that." Doesn't work for me. <laughs> that is awesome. But it was. Cool. I'm really excited that you got to do that, man. That's yeah. really cool. So, but I'm recovered. How was your week off? It was great. Had uh, 
had a rehearsal last night, and I hadn't seen my my new band, my new nameless band. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't seen them for two and a half weeks, so uh, it was really cool. We're you know the songs are longer and much deeper than anything the three of us have ever done because we've all been in rock bands together. Mm-hmm. So uh, so they take a while to write and. We have to find that balance. We don't have a singer, so we want the songs musically to be hooky, but you can just keep making them more and more dense and more dense, trying to fill the void that you don't have a singer. And at some point, you have to relax into the fact that... So we're trying to find these vibes and these uh, motifs that are hooky to the non-musician, and then there's a deeper layer. And I've talked to you about this before, but uh, that deeper layer of stuff for musicians. So we had a rehearsal last night, and it was a blast. Um, this is not set in stone yet, so people don't start emailing my website. But it uh, looks like uh, right after NAM, Carter McLean and I are going to do a drum camp together here. Cool. And it's going to be based on the concepts that allow what people want to learn to be possible. Everyone comes and wants to learn this groove, wants to learn this lick. So this whole camp is only going to be on the concepts that allow those things to exist in the first place, giving people the tools to create all the grooves and licks they want. Mm. Um, so it'd be the conceptual side of everything because Carter and I are very, very different. I mean, we talk on the phone all the time, and he really plays from the heart and plays in maybe a substructure of phrasing. But he's not thinking about like you'd have to wa- make him watch the video back for him to tell you what he just did. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm coming from an educator's point of view where I'm ready for you to ask me what I just did, so I'm kind of keeping track of it in the moment, mm. which is stifling the creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to try to combine those two skills together and create a really cool camp for the students. So as soon as we, so the plan is he'll already be out on the West Coast for Nam. Then uh, maybe he'll do you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday at Nam, fly in Saturday night. And then we could do a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, three-day camp. And it would be super – I mean, it's eight campers. That's all we have room for. So yeah. as soon as as soon as soon it's set in stone, I'll announce it here on the podcast. Awesome. That'll be great. Yeah. He, it should be a lot of fun. His, so. his website's cool too. I really dig it. Four Hands Drumming. Yeah. Check it out. It's really good stuff, man. Um, and it's just a different approach. And that's the, the, the one thing that I love about where we are with technology is if you love somebody's playing, there's a probably a pretty good chance that you can learn from them, whether it be from you know Skype or they have their own educational website like Carter does or a full-blown thing like what I do where it literally my whole life is just that. Um, but that's a, that's a great place to be. I mean, I remember you and I are in the same age group, so... If somebody didn't make a videotape, we don't get to learn from them. Yeah, it didn't that exist. Was it. Yeah, yeah, and and so I, I remember writing letters to DCI and Hudson. Can you please get a hold of Vinnie Caliuda? Why does <laughs> why is there no footage of this man without a band? And uh, I've never heard his voice. Is he from America? I don't know. I don't know if he's got a British accent. Did you see that there uh, so. was some sort of a social media tease about him finally entering the world of social media? No, but I do know that him and I have liked a lot of the same stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, Vinny liked this. Yeah. That validates it. it he was, likes this watch. It was confusing because uh, I saw it may have been like last week. I saw there was like this teaser, like, you know, watch this space. I'm like, oh, my gosh, is Vinny going to start posting videos or something like that? And right. then the only kind of reveal that I saw, maybe there's something coming, was that now Vinny's actually going to be contributing to his own social media pages <laughs> rather than having it be someone else. But it's, dude. But then they followed up with the next post that was you know referring to Vinny in a third person. I'm like, what? Does, is that Vinny saying this or is that someone else? You know, that's that's weird too. And that that happens to me on the reverse end. I noticed that on on my personal Facebook page, it's all normal chatter when I post something. But on my fan page. 
which is still me. I just did it so that I could have more than 5,000 followers, right. you know. Uh, on my fan page, people always say, man, I really love this guy on my post. <laughs> and I'm like, he loves you too. He is me. Why don't you, do, you know, and they like, they don't think it's me, you know. And they think like I've got some team posting like, uh, hey, Jason, can you post the one where I rip on the rack, Tom? <laughs> yeah, thanks, buddy. Like, so, but it's always in the, like, they're always referring to me like I'm not me. Like, yeah. it makes no and sense. I see that. There's a few other celebrity drummers, I won't name names, that, that you can tell that they've hired someone to do it. I'm like, you should probably right. tell them to not do that. Like, it's, I don't, it's I don't like it when it's, very you know, obvious. John Smith's page and then the, the post says, John Smith has a gig tomorrow. I'm like. That's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm like, okay, this is, dude, I mean, that's kind of the point of, if you're going to be on social media, be on it because you're you're agreeing to let the world in and if you don't want the world in like my wife amber she doesn't have a facebook page she doesn't have instagram mm-hmm. uh she has amber at mikeslessons.com is her email <laughs> and then four people know her real email address <laughs> <laughs> and it's left over from her very first job and so it's like and and to her she's like well i just i just don't care i don't want to yeah. be on it and it's like okay but if you're going to make that choice to be on it then you're opening up your world a little bit. And you, should, and, and you should be on it. I, I just feel kind of like detached. Like, I really want to follow you, but I don't because I know it's not you. Like that's, That doesn't help anyone. If, I agree. You know. I, so I totally I agree. I guess we'll find well, out what Vinny's going to do. I, it, I'm hoping that we just get some, like, over-the-shoulder camera footage of yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, that's all I, I want. want. <laughs> I want to go a little uh, Mike Clark. I want him to lose lose his stuff a little <laughs> bit and, and then just post it. Maybe all that's caps. the fear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vince, Vince, give me the phone. Vince, <laughs> give me the phone. Awesome. Well, I guess we solved social media. Let's talk about some education. <laughs> okay, so Rich Redman wrote an article in the current issue of Modern Drama, the one with Anna Canillis on the cover, and it's talking about hi-hat splashes, bringing them into your playing. So let's define what a hi-hat splash is. Yeah, okay. Do you, okay, do you see it as I'm using my foot to control the sound created if you're playing hand crash cymbals is that do you see it like punching them together or do you see it as more of a sizzle or because you Mm. would you call closing the hi-hat that's that's a chick i mean that that wouldn't be a splash right yeah and but opening punching them together yeah i guess you you wouldn't call it the reverse you wouldn't say opening the hi-hat would be the synonymous with a with a splash so yeah i don't I guess it depends on the context. It could be I'm emulating marching cymbals if I'm playing a, a rudimental thing or if I'm playing... I mean, obviously normal. not as bombastic, but I'm saying you... In our minds, you have to punch them together to get them to make a... Yeah, psh- yeah exactly. Okay. Trying to emulate that symphonic cymbal sound. But, you know, right. sometimes I hold them together a little bit more so they sizzle. Sometimes I splash right. them full on. But they're, yeah, they're sometimes, all splashes in my mind. Sometimes I go Weckle-esque and I keep time heel down and I'm just barely tapping them together. Just oh yeah, they kind of hum. Yeah, yeah. You know, because he does that a lot and he's playing blazing stuff against it but almost in half notes he's going shh, shh. Mm-hmm. And there's like <laughs> and it keeps this kind of mellow like hey, everything's cool. Just listen to my little hi-hat. T- you know, tinkle tinkles. Tinkle tinkle. Tinkles? That's probably, yeah, that's probably. <laughs> hey Dave, that, I know your splashes are cooler than tinkles. My bad, buddy. My bad. Uh, <laughs> Oh, now I've got Vinny and Wex mad at me. Uh, yeah. Great, bring it on. I don't, okay. Well, you know, I don't think either one of them does or no. Wait, <laughs> yeah, I don't think either one of them cares, and uh, I don't think either of them listen to the show. So, uh, so, so with that, do you? Where do you use them the most in your own playing? Is it a timekeeper? Is it more of a sound effect? Yes, yeah, I found myself more and more lately using the left foot less for timekeeping. Uh, 
which I think was originally something that I realized in the studio. I was just getting a bunch of miscellaneous sounds, and it's really hard to make the left foot hi-hat accurate and line up with the snare drum. So just like a bunch of junky flams and stuff. So I I do it less and less. So it's more. It's almost always a sound choice now, okay. and it, even if it's a closed sound or a splash sound. So I think of it as just a way to get an elongated, sustained sound. Maybe I want to add it to the backbeat. Maybe I want to add it to something else. I guess it's usually probably supplementing the backbeat. Um, I also learned um, the hard way. <laughs> I was in a one of my first jazz sessions, and I was like way into Jack DeJohnette and having no business being way into Jack DeJohnette at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so we were playing a ballad with brushes, and Jack is just a master at using the splash, the hi-hat splash, just okay. to color up the, the pattern, and I was doing it as well. And we got through the take, and the producer chimes in on the talk back. He's, you know, sounds like a marching band in there. Can you do a little less oh, of that? <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> How old were you? I was probably 20, like 21. Early 20s? Yeah. Oh, that's not fun on the ego. No, and it wasn't. I mean, we talked about it last week about the art of being a producer. Like, he could have he could have done a way better job of, of telling me not right. to do that. It was right. it, it came across as a little bit demeaning. And it yeah, you can it. definitely I, go, man, that splash stuff is super cool. Let's save it. Let's just make sure we use it in the right spot and just yeah, yeah. do less of it throughout the track and then just in that moment because it's so cool, Mike. Yeah, that would have been really proud fine. Of you. you know, I didn't need him to... to hold my hand but it just it, you know the problem was i'm such i was such a habitual player that i was like oh i don't know if i can do it now because that was how when i was playing with brushes at the time that was my interaction was the left foot wow. i was using the left foot so it just became like Ugh, i don't know what to do with this but then i acknowledge okay not everyone wants to hear this sound all right, the time yeah and sure. probably the symbols i was using i mean jack's hi-hats are really dry i was i don't remember i was probably using new beats so they, they probably were just kind of oh climbing. yeah yeah, and yeah, it was a, you sure. know, a pretty traditionalist kind of a producer guy, so he probably just didn't want to hear Jack DeJohnette at the moment. Yeah, uh, sure. My version, a 21-year-old version of Jack DeJohnette. Uh, so, yeah, so I just do it less and less. I think it's just because it is a very – it can be a, a strong sound even though it's your left sure. foot. So I try to just be very yeah. strategic with it. I'd, sometimes I will do the – because the first time I remember hearing it was Dennis Chambers when he would solo over a, a closed open pattern. Yeah. Like quarter notes. Ch- yeah. yeah. So sometimes I'll do that yeah. for some, like an extra texture. Um, and I noticed I learned from Benny Greb, he kind of adds it in in cool spots to kind of add an extra offbeat rhythm or something like that. Yeah. It can also, you know, sometimes it can buy you some time. So sometimes I hit a splash maybe on the end of four and I don't have to fill in those two sixteenth notes with my hands. Mm. Um, so I can have a boom. And it just yeah. kind of holds it out. Um, so I use it to buy some time. Uh, I've, I definitely learned a lot by playing uh, Afro-Cuban music, Cuban music and Afro-Caribbean music. And I remember I was in the Sac State Latin Jazz Ensemble, and we always had two, minimum, two aux percussionists. Mm. And So we had full congero, then two aux percussionists. And we always had a guy playing shake day And... On one of these gigs, he couldn't come, and his part was shut, 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 shut in the songo that we were playing. So he'd shake hmm. it, and then two snaps, and I just, I was like, okay, that's going to fit awesome with my tumbao bass drum pattern. So my left foot goes splash, close, close, splash, close, close, while I'm going doom, 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 shut, doom, and then play a songo over the top of it. It really was, but it was the first time that all of that independence crap 
paid off yeah. in a musical way where I was like, well, I can cover his part with my left foot if you want. Yeah. And, and then that's literally probably, I'd say 90% of the time when I'm playing a songo for myself and for fun, my left foot's doing that. And it's, I just enjoy it a lot. So yeah, definitely the chambers thing, splash clothes. That's one of the things that we have to do in our camps here is when you learn something with your hands, we move the right hand over to the ride. You learn that groove and you have, you go through five left foot options. Downbeats, upbeats, eighth notes, eighth notes as splash close, and eighth notes as close splash. Mm. So putting the splash on the upbeat. So um, do you worry about the technique of it at all, or you just say get the sound figured the out? The sound, but the the one thing, this is, I would say that every time I do it in a live lesson, immediately we get questions. Hey, what's the technique for doing that? Yeah. And yeah. man, I, no one ever taught me. Uh, the technique is I heard Dennis Chambers do it. I heard all these cats do it. And I thought, how the hell do you do that? Mm-hmm. Luckily, I was in school bands, so I was familiar with handheld crash cymbals, uh, symphonic cymbals. And I really thought, I'm just going to punch these things together. So I kind of punch it with the flat part of my foot and then yeah. immediately go to a heel up to close it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when I put on the foot cam, wow, what I think is happening, it's it's not that. It's so minuscule. Like, the movement is so small when I do it. Mm. In my mind, I'm, like, lifting my leg, my knee hits my chin, <laughs> yeah, and I right. stomp on it, and then I go to, like, this, like, pirouetting heel-up thing, and then I look at it, and it's like, it, like, barely moves. <laughs> yeah. But I am, I'm punching the two symbols together. Like you said, I keep my foot, I personally like the symbols to sizzle the whole time. I never let them release completely. Mm. Um, so I punch them together, let them sizzle, and then go to a heel up position to shut down the sizzle. And that sizzle, the, the amount of time that that splash is active is usually related to the subdivision that I'm playing in. Right, right. So it's a 16th if, it's, if I'm playing in 16th, it's an 8th if I'm playing in 8th uh, and whatnot. But it is something that you kind of have to go max roach on it like you have to take the hi-hat away from the drum set and just sit down with it and yeah. learn it. that that instrument is its own instrument the hi-hat I, love it. I, mean, I think it's my favorite instrument on the drum set really because it's so many sounds and i mean yeah? you can do so many different things with it i think it's infinite yeah. really and when you hear it someone is. really master like a good reggae player or something you're like how is he getting all those sounds like different frequencies and it's like a constant yeah. bubbling. I mean, it's it's awesome. And uh, we have people that keep reminding us of that. You know, I remember when when I got into the police, I was like, oh, that's not the hi-hat that I play. Yeah, like, yeah. Mine goes check, 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 check through the whole yeah. song. You know? I remember and, hearing a uh, one of the Radiohead songs off of maybe two records ago okay. where, where the hi-hat is just really kind of prominent. And you can actually hear the like metallic hum of the cymbals the, in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. I'm like, how is he doing that? And and I'm like, he must have a special set of hi-hats. Like, what is he doing? I think he was just using new beats or something. Right. But it's just like the combination of his technique, and it all just gave it yeah. this. Normally, you'd think, oh, there's that overtone, that metallic overtone. It's terrible, but it's like kind of perfect for that song. Wow, that's really which is cool. really neat. Yeah, that. And uh, have you ever had to adjust the spring on your pedal to make it work right? That's like one of the last things I ever mess with is the spring tension, but. Wow. I, I've had some hi hat stands, uh, and like I was sitting on different guys' kits. Then, right, it was like the hi hats would just fly open so fast. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. So, one of the reasons I love, and this is not because I'm endorsed by them, but one of the reasons I stayed a DW Hardware artist is because their stands are traditionally slow. Like they open about the f- speed that your foot would. But, yeah. but I mean, like if you're used to a Pearl, a Yamaha, or a Tama. 
you're gonna be like, dude, your hi hat stand sucks. It's so <laughs> la- sluggish. But when I if I go to a clinic, they're like, sorry, we don't have any DW hardware. I'm like, that's fine. Whatever you have, it. It, and it, it opens so fast that it goes kong when yeah. it hits the top. Like flies <laughs> like, open. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn. I'm like getting a hip flexor workout holding this thing closed because it's like, <laughs> let me out, let me out. <laughs> Which I, I can, I mean, there's certain guys that I I, I'll, I remember specifically sitting on Near Z's kit and his hi-hat opened so fast. And it also closed, like the closed sound was so clean and, and articulate. Mm. But that's part of his vibe. Like his his sure. touch is very clean and articulate. There's not a lot of those in between, you know, nuanced articulations with him. For for right. for the better for for his yeah. That's what he's approach. going for. Yeah. But for me, it was like whoa. It's either like open or closed. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I know I what you mean. Like sometimes just want to relax the hats a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, this is slightly off topic, but still on the hi hat technique thing. I'm finding that. I hold my hi-hats so tight without knowing it. So I'm not meaning to do it, but when I actually consciously think like, okay, if I put my finger under my foot right now, how much would that hurt? Yeah. I'm like, wow, I'm like really pressing down. And then the the drummers I like, they they the hi-hats are closed, but they're a little more relaxed because mm-hmm. sometimes I think like aren't I playing like really thin 15s? Why do they sound like 12s? <laughs> I'm like, man, I think I pressed down too hard. So that's actually been something to thicken up my grooves. I've been really conscious about like, okay, left foot, you don't even know you're doing it because you've done it your whole life, but back it off a little bit and don't yeah. hold it down so tight. Um, so yeah, that's a, a balancing point for sure. Well, I think one, we should give people a little tip on how to practice the hi-hat splash because you can't use it until you can do it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be able to do it. And in all honesty, I would tell you guys, sit down, get away, get get the sticks out of your hand, get your foot off the bass drum pedal, sit down with the hi-hat only, and start with it at maybe an inch open. You know, don't have it super open. That's going to be harder to control. And then literally you're just going to punch it with the flat part of your foot like you're just kind of quickly stomping on it. And it's going to allow those cymbals to crash together. And then you just close it back down. And then as you get used to that, Instead of it opening, going ching, it's going to go because you're going to just hold it down a little bit. It's going to it's going to splash, and then you're going to let it sizzle and then close it down. But really, get that hi hat away from the kit for a little while and just try to master doing this as a technique. And don't go fast. Just psh, psh, yeah, exactly. And Rich's article is the opposite. He starts with a closed sound on beat one, open sound okay. on two, closed sound on Perfect. three. Oh, but the same thing. So he takes it to Physically the next the same step thing. where he's just adding very simple snare drum bass drum patterns over top of that. That's I, perfect. I think that's the way to do it. I mean, I end up doing it more as an integrated voice where it's a rhythm. Sure. But but I definitely practice it a lot of having to be in an ostinato. And those two, I yeah. think, are the, the starting point. Quarter notes either opening on one and three or two and four. And like I said, you, you can't use it until you can do it. So you got to learn it first, learn the right. technique, and then think like, okay – Here's the other thing. As soon as you learn it, you're going to use it in all the wrong spaces. You're just <laughs> yeah. happy to have the dang thing, right? Like Jack Dejanet on a jazz ballad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, take this. Uh, but eventually, it'll show up in the right place. So. You know, I, I just thought of another time I do it a lot subconsciously hmm. is when I'm going into a fill to lead to another section of the song, I end up splashing it to kind of give me a like subconscious crescendo, like an extra. Oh, absolutely. Song. 
which I yeah I, I I've always seen it as it's getting it's the same thing as the guitar player taking the the palm off of the strings and starting to open up the guitar as we go into the chorus yeah, yeah cool so I do the same exact thing for sure yeah so. dig it all right well guys start working on your hi hat splashes now it's time to get into our featured artist uh, our featured artist this time is Rival Sons Michael Miley uh, had a about a year ago, got to spend some time with him. It was the first time I'd ever met him. I got to spend about six hours with him as we were doing the the one. Oh, the, the snare the drum shoot. thing. Yeah, the snare drum thing. Did they release all those videos yet? I think. I don't know. I, I, I saw I've Zach Danziger and Steve Ferroni, but I haven't seen more than that. Yeah, I. Um, I know mine came out. I know Michael's is on because I saw it. I watched it today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, I. I all I know is that for the first three hours, I was confused as all hell because everyone called him Miley, and that's a great first name. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't know who he was. And then at some point, somebody said something about Rival Sons, so I pretended to go to the bathroom, got out my phone, typed in Miley Rival Sons, and then Mike Miley came up. And I was like, ah, there we go. Now I know his name. So, uh, But, man, I just I got along with the guy so well. He was so personal, so humble. Um, and, and we had everybody there. The the cat from the Zach Brown band was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, Steve Ferroni, Zach. Um, uh, who else was there? Uh, Matt Sorum. And, and all those drummers were just incredibly humble. But it was funny. Michael was really interested in like the modern YouTube drumming, which is so the opposite of his yeah, thing. Right. But he was like, could you teach me some of like that, that cool like linear 30-second note stuff? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. really? That's what you want? I'm like, yeah, I'd be happy to, man. And uh but and I think I don't know if he got a chance to, but you know, Dave Elitch is in LA, so I'm like, you should just work with Dave, man. Like yeah. Dave's got that stuff down. Um but yeah, he's a fantastic player. And if you guys haven't seen him play, just obviously just go to YouTube and type in Rival Sons because he's been their drummer. But he's got that thing down of just like he makes songs feel good. Like yep. but yep. rock and roll. You know, I was watching uh, him play on a, a track called Pressure in Time. It was a live version. And I was thinking, man, this is pretty Bonham-esque. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I don't mean it just Bonham way. I just mean it, it was actually kind of a – had a good Zeppelin vibe going on of just rock and roll. And, yeah. you know, you and I have talked in the past. We're missing rock and roll right now. Like, you know, yeah, that was – when I – at this lecture, I had a, a couple students that was one of the questions. Like, you know, who are some awesome drummers that you would suggest, you know, I check out? and. And I kind of went genre by genre, and I got the rock and roll. I was like, oh, man, you know what? I mean, because I had this issue with me. I'm like, definitely check out Rival Sons and, and Michael's playing. But I'm like, ooh, I don't know about many other, like, really great yeah. current rock bands. Like, that's... I mean, really, like, Taylor Hawkins um, would be up there for me. Um, and I don't really, even though Dave is one, I still see him more as a singer-songwriter right now. So yeah, yeah. that's why I would say Taylor. But yeah, and it's not that they're not out there. It's that they're not being pushed the way they were yeah, when we were different. growing up. So it's I don't totally know different. about them. Um, when somebody shows them to me, you know, and I think that once you make the jump from rock to metal, then we're back in. We've got like 40 guys we can talk about. Yeah. But in rock, just what we consider to be straight up like, you know. Yeah. Gritty. Uh, rock. You know, yeah. You know. Go for it, rock. Not not super precise or like worried about speed and all the metal yeah. stuff. I mean, yeah, I think I think Rival Sons have it. I mean, anyone who's who's a fan of classic rock, they sh- you should definitely check out Rival Sons. Now, do you know Do you know Mike at all, or have you met him? Yeah, before? yeah, we met at Nam a few times. We traded emails. I mean, he's such he's a, a nice sweetheart. Guy. Yeah, yeah. And I had, I had 
sort of stumbled on his drumming years ago before, I guess before Rival Sons, and he'd done some you know little things on YouTube for different, I think it was a different drum company at the time. Yeah. Uh, maybe he was playing with Rival Sons then, but I, I don't re- recall. But I mean, he's also a good teacher. You know, he real practical information that I thought was really cool. Um, so it was all that kind of stuff. Just a, he's and, a great speaker. Yeah. Yeah. And just a cool guy. I mean, he, you know, every time I see him at NAM, it's like, ah, there's, you're just a cool dude, man. <laughs> you know, no wonder yeah, you're totally. an awesome rock band. But I mean, he's legit too. I mean, that's, that's kind of why we were like, we got to make sure he's in the magazine because he's kind of the perfect modern drummer kind of subject because he's taken lessons i mean the guys you know his band was opening for uh black sabbath like the past couple years and yeah and now he's he's still taking drum lessons you know like that for us was like you know thank god there's these people who just are restless they're they're never going to say i've arrived or whatever always evolving Uh, very cool and his drum sound is you know straight out of the bottom handbook very high toms uh, high snare very little muffling which we all wish we could do (laughs) right the drum sound that we all wish we could have on stage (laughs) yeah or or, man I would just like to have his drum sound for a sound check yeah just one sound check (laughs) I'll muffle it back up when my band gets out here let me just have one but he's killer man yeah i think uh there's a bunch of videos from uh the mayor brothers uh drum company yeah that's what he does but that's that was the stuff that really impressed me was i was like wow man this cat can teach yeah he's got he's he's totally comfortable on camera holds himself really well uh great speaker and and what i also like is he doesn't teach at least in the lessons that i watched today he doesn't teach licks and chops he teaches feel touch yeah. how yeah. to make the song so clearly like his band must just love having him because he cares more about making things feel a certain way than he does about getting in his chops or his licks yeah and i think one of his more recent videos was a uh, behind the scenes of him before a show what he does his pre-show warm-up and okay i thought it was awesome because i and it made me kind of rethink what I do because he he goes like like he's going out to a boxing match like he's back there breaking a sweat he's on jumping jacks and he's on the yeah. practice pad kid and he's he's like up until the moment he goes on stage he's he's getting himself amped up he'll run around and it, love it I think he might even wear one of those those uh, what are those jackets that they make you sweat when you're trying to cut weight oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. nice he's going Vision Quest <laughs> I think wow. so I have, to, I have to find it I might be wrong but I just recall thinking man this guy's like he's going out to battle. You know he's yeah. he's getting warmed up like he's sweaty before he well yeah steps and he, on and, he stage. and he's and he has to because with that band he's going to be you know swinging for the fences for minimum hour but if it's a headlining set two hours yeah and if you don't physically warm up in rock you're in trouble because it's not just your wrists and your fingers it's your entire body it's your cardiovascular system I mean it's yeah. it's a workout you, you know you, you I had can't to replicate do, that. What's that? You can't replicate that in the practice room, I've found. No. You can't do it. No, because, well, the one thing that's missing is the adrenaline. Yeah. So no matter how hard you push yourself, you don't have the live adrenaline thing happening. So, um, but he's an awesome drummer, but just a a beautiful human being. So guys, check out Michael Miley. He's out with Rival Sons. um, And as far as I know, is he their first drummer? I believe so. Or they're only drummers. So, so I, I mean, think anything that you listen to from them would be him on it, right? Yeah, and they've got five albums out now, believe it or not. The wow. F- their fifth album is called Hollow Bones. That's the newest one. Uh, but they're all great. Uh, they were one of the bands when we first got the advances of their first record, I believe. We're all like, oh, we all took copies home and listened to it. Really? <laughs> it was one of those. That's like, wow, cool. this is good music. Finally, someone's just playing yeah. rock and roll again, you know, without yeah. uh, 
without having to have a subgenre attached to it. <laughs> right. Know? But there's a balance, I think, like with when it comes to rock, there's a balance of I don't care, I'm not taking lessons, and it and it's kind of like, look, I, I get that you're going for the sloppy rock thing, but you pushed it too far. Like you pushed the not caring too far for me. Yeah. And then, then you go too far the other way and i'm like that's too precise to be rock rock shouldn't be this perfect yeah yeah and i think michael is is where i want rock to be it's like it's not on it's not quantized and it's not sloppy it's just some way it's like dude it's 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 alive he's got great rock should be yeah i put him in the like same kind of realm as ronnie venucci like you can tell these guys are serious serious students of the drums when when it comes to to playing music it's all emotion like they they've yeah. gotten to that point where they can just let go of you know the the, the technique of it. And Same with Abe Cunningham. Just yeah, like, yeah. There's just a, there's go for it. A few of these. Rock. Him and him and Ronnie in particular remind me of like that's the classic rock thing. Like if if you know all the classic rock guys had just been more studious, you know, like to be yeah. able to have a little bit more control or a more deliberate. You know, like Mitch yeah. Mitchell for me is one of my all-time favorite drummers. But for a long time, I wasn't a fan because it was just so sloppy. I'm like, man, if he just would right. practice like five minutes a day before. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I think somewhere between Mitch Mitchell and uh, Jeff Beccaro. That's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> yeah, somewhere right. between the two. Um, right? And they're both geniuses. No oh, yeah, doubt about them. We're not slagging yeah, either. Yeah. But what I personally like is somewhere in between the two. Because... You know, if you have when when you go Picaro, it's like okay, that that makes me feel bad because I know that I'll yeah. never be that precise. <laughs> um, and then it, and then you go Mitch Mitchell, I'm like, well, maybe I didn't need to take all those lessons. Maybe I just could have been brilliant on my own. But then you find Michael Miley, and it's right down the middle. Yeah, I know that I can't wait to get the hate mail from the Mitch Mitchell fans. <laughs> I'm not saying that he wasn't amazing, and I didn't, you know learn a ton well i mean i did i did preface by saying he is one of my current favorite drummers of all time. yeah absolutely but, you know when i was a young drummer practicing a lot i i had that typical ego of thinking i could do that better than him because he's his technique is so sloppy and really all you're saying is you could do that cleaner than him but yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be better and it wouldn't but, yeah. fit the music better no, by it, any means. it would have been way worse i mean that's <laughs> it's like uh, I jimmy mean, would have been like are you cool man like <laughs> are you cool and you're like yeah i'm flawless and he's like okay how about you relax, Dawson? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about some gear. Uh, so right now we're going to talk about the Vic Firth Modern Jazz Collection. Uh, now, I I don't know what's going on. Like with with the M or the Modern Jazz Collection, they're all nicknamed MJC One, MJC Two. Yep. Do you think that that is them? saying these are really the Mike Johnston series sticks that we wish we had. <laughs> but we're going to just just spice it up with modern jazz. Is that, do you think that's happening? What does the C mean? The uh, Mike, Mike Johnston. Collection? I mean. Collection one. <laughs> it's, a, it's one collection. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Fine. Maybe but, not. Maybe not. So is this whole entire series brand new for them? Yeah, I mean, sort of. The the story that I got, I hope I, I've gotten the details correct, is these are all models that various artists had had them kind of designed for them over the years that they just kind of okay. had in their their vaults, but never never made like commercially available. It was like one one guy wanted this type of a stick, so they made them for him. Uh, I believe that's the story. So then they just you know brought out the favorite ones out of that that batch of one off designs and released them as his collection. So they call it the really Modern cool. Jazz Collection because they had the input of Greg Hutchinson, Jeff Ballard, uh, Lewis Nash, um, who else? 
I think the MJC2, yeah, Joe McCarthy, who's a great uh, military, I think he's still in the military, but a big band Latin Latin drummer. Um, nice. So that's why they call them the Modern Jazz Collection, but I, I didn't feel that these are relegated to jazz only. I don't, I mean, like well, the, yeah, Peter, I mean, the Peter Erskine ride stick, I, you couldn't use in a rock band, but right. these are, you know, I think they could work with just about anything. They're definitely smaller, lighter sticks overall, but... Um, that's not entirely. I mean, the MJC one, which is my favorite. It's it's kind of a normal size stick, point five eight inches in diameter and sixteen and one one twenty five hundredths thousandths. Isn't of an it? Inch. Isn't it nice to be off the metric system? <laughs> Man, we butchered that one, and I'm butchering it now. But yeah, the MJ one <laughs> is kind of a general purpose stick, but it has the um, the more of like an oval tip. Yeah, which I don't know that that Vic has had that as a regular item. I think they usually favor the acorn style tip. Uh, so that was a great stick. I think that's the one that Greg Hutchinson uh, helped design and uses. The these most. are all, by the way, are these all hickory? No, the MJC four is made of maple, and that okay, is the one that Jeff Ballard helped him design. That and that's pretty much. I mean, that is almost my signature stick. Um, and that tip is used by a few different drum companies. So that half barrel tip yeah. is what's on mine. And it's the in-between of a 5A and a 5B. And when I saw it, I'm like, man, that looks a lot like my stick. By no means. I mean, drumsticks can only be made in so many shapes and sizes. <laughs> yeah, That would so be the one you say, that you would use for sure. Yeah. It would be the one I would use, totally. Yeah. Um, and I, they make my stick in, in maple. So um, for anybody that's never played with maple, <clears throat> please don't go buy those, break them, and then say, this company sucks. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Maple is a much less dense wood, and it's not. If you're going to swing for the fences, don't use it. But yeah. if you want a lighter touch, or you're playing a gig where your sticks feel a little too heavy for you, but you want to keep the same stick, then go with uh, the Maple version, and it's and it has a different sound on the cymbals. It's just a little woodier to me. Yeah, and um, and Jeff, and there's like a video of him kind of explaining what he wanted, and he wanted a bigger stick that could do more of the work for him, but he wanted it to feel light. So obviously, Maple was perfect. Was the choice. Yeah, that's awesome. Is your stick over sixteen inches, or is it right at sixteen? It's the exact same as the as the Vader Five A. So okay. I think it's I think it's sixteen. I'll have to look because um, I think I this mean, one honestly, felt like a slightly bigger version of your stick. Really? I, have, I still have a couple pairs of yours, and this this felt just like a little bit bigger. I don't know what, but maybe a little bit longer. Maybe. Well, the, you know, one thing I would say is with with Vic Firth, um, Vader Promark. The quality is just impeccable now. I mean, compared to what it probably would have been 30 years ago. I mean, the quality oh, yeah, is incredible. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, so let me ask you this, just because this goes into Vic Firth's manufacturing process. Obviously, they match their pairs, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they find match, like, yeah. okay, yeah, so they pitch match them. So would you recommend keeping the pairs together, like keeping the sleeves on them, or do you care? At all for your personal plan. Let's just say you had a bag of Vic Firths. Are you like that OCD that they'd have to stay together, or do you just take them all out of their sleeves, dump it in, and boom, you got a stick bag? Um, When I was doing more nuanced music, I would I would be more conscious of it. Okay, but but when I was playing that kind of music, I would very rarely have more than one pair of the same stick in my bag. It'd be okay four or five different pairs, so it wouldn't be like I'd be grabbing the MJC four from from pair number three and, and mixing it with pair number one. But right. I do, I do notice it, um, especially when I'm doing these demos for the magazine and I'm doing like a snare drum demo, 
you can mm-hmm. kind of hear the pitch difference. And I know it's not that my hands are so you know asymmetrical. It's sometimes it's the sticks because I'm just right. grabbing you know pairs of sticks that I have lying around. Some have been a couple years old. Some are brand new. So the water content is obviously different and sure. all that. But these these I didn't notice it. But no, I'm not super particular. Um, Generally, because I'm not like using both hands on the ride symbol ever at once, so you yeah. would hear the difference. Yeah. Um, well, and and I mean, with with companies like this, the top tiered stick companies, even if they're not pitch matched or whatever, they're all pretty consistent. The yeah. only thing that's going to really change the consistency is if you get it at a music store and you don't buy it in a sealed brick. You might have one pair that's been in that store for three years and one pair that's been yeah. there for three days. That's going to be the difference. And in that case, you should never blame the company. That's just that's what happens to wood. So, yeah. but all of these look fantastic. I did just look up my stick and this is, so the MJC four is a little bit, just like you said, it's a little bit longer and the tiniest bit closer to a five B than a five than mine. Okay. Is. Yeah, so mine's go. the exact in between. So if you guys play uh, my stick or have played my stick, especially in maple and wish it was just a little bit longer, maybe you have bigger hands than I do, then uh, the MJC four would be a great way for you to go. Yeah, that one's cool. The, like I said, the MJC one is kind of, I felt like I could use this on just about every gig. It's just like an all purpose drumstick. Yeah. It felt yeah. great. Good balance, good sound, you know, lots of strength and power and sensitivity, all that. The MJC two has a really kind of bizarre looking tip. <laughs> It's, okay. it's like a like an arrowhead almost, like an elongated arrowhead. Yeah, that one uh, looks like a bullet. Yeah, it looks like a bullet. And the yeah, bullet tip, sh- I guess they didn't want to call it a bullet tip, but it's it sort of <laughs> looks like a bullet. And it's kind of neat because you can play it flatter and get a like a wider spray from the cymbal and you or you can okay. elevate your angle and play with closer to the the top of the bead and get like a more pinpoint kind of ride sound. Which is kind of nice. Neat. Uh, yeah, that's a cool tip for sure and and uh for most people that haven't had a chance to demo a bunch of sticks like you and I have, that's where you're going to find the difference. The tip is going to change slightly the feel that you get off of the surface, obviously, and it's going to change the sound of the cymbals. You're not going to really notice a ton of difference on the drums, but that's a pretty extreme tip compared to like the regular oval tip that you were talking about in yeah. the MJC1. It is. I mean, and that wouldn't be a stick that I would use if I just need to you know, bash a bash to a song because it, it's designed to be more nuanced if you're really exploring sure. different colors on the symbols yeah uh, it was pretty neat that one was cool mjc3 is again kind of more of a general purpose stick but a little bit smaller than the, the mjc1 um, it's thinner and it's also well it's actually thinner and longer so it's it's you know but it's still kind of a general purpose i would say a lighter playing stick with a little bit of extra length Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember who uses that one. That might be the one that um, Lewis Nash uh, talks about in the videos. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it felt that stick. I remember felt like a little bit um, heavier. I guess because it had extra length, so it felt like it got me more sound out of the drums for less, less, um, less effort. But at the same time, it required a little bit more effort to control. You know, so, gotcha. Which sure. is, I think, when you're playing really light, that's kind of a good thing to have a little bit of a more powerful stick so you can kind of dig in more yeah for uh, sure mjc4 was it felt great for me because i'm more of a 5b player these days but it has that small tip which made the cymbal sound really nice and then the mjc5 is their nylon tip so it's kind of close to the same size as the mjc3 but it's a nylon tip nice um, so yeah, it's a nice well, collection i like i said it, it's called modern jazz collection but i think anyone who's playing you know, on the moderate to quiet dynamic levels, most of the time we'll find a model here that that should work for them. I actually thought taking the 
two and five as like extra sounds in addition to whatever your normal stick would be would be a cool option so instead of finding the one that's like your main stick you're using these to be more of your auxiliary sticks yeah you know what sound i need to cut through so i'm going to pull out those modern jazz nylon tips yeah or uh, you know we're playing really light and i want to be able to explore the colors of the symbols more than the the two will give you you know some more options Um, awesome well and i've always been a fan of um their their lacquer as well you know it's not too shiny it's not too raw uh they always feel good guys i mean it doesn't matter whether it's Vic Firth, Vader, Promark, Regal Tip, whoever. What really matters with sticks is that it feels like a natural extension to your hand. So I always recommend for my young students, every time you buy a pair of sticks, get a different size and a different brand. And just mm. keep going through them until you find the one where it's like, man, that just I don't even feel the stick in my hand anymore. It's like, cool, you got it. Uh, so yeah, check out the Vic Firth Modern Jazz Collection. Fantastic. So should sticks. we should we drop in audio to kind of hear the first two? Oh, do you do you actually <laughs> yeah. do you have? I mean, can you hear it in the audio? The difference? Yeah, I think. Uh, I, well, I did a video of the whole collection, but if you just okay, we just drop in. It'll be the MJC one, which is kind of the general purpose, and then the MJC two. So you can kind of hear the contrast, the brighter kind of uh, more spraying sound of the MJC two. Well, let's take a listen. Yeah, there's a huge difference between those two. Yeah, uh, especially on that. And uh, is that the V Classic ride as well? No, that's a, a one of the thin Coropes. That's like a 20 oh. inch Coropes. I, I picked a symbol that was super thin, so you could also hear how how it washes out the symbol a little bit. Um, the first one, you can kind of hear what it does, yeah. what, each, what each stick does as far as the wash versus the articulation. But yeah, I was kind of surprised. No. I'm, I'm usually a skeptic with like you know drumsticks make a huge difference, but. In that case, a, it did. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I totally agree. I, I thought, and dude, your jazz chops sounded fantastic. <laughs> was, and in the first, in the first little cut there, in, on the MJC one, you had a hi hat splash. Did I? You had a little. <laughs> yeah, so dang it, that's whole, in the back uh, this, of my mind. Jack DeJanette is always there. <laughs> this whole episode comes full circle, man. Yeah, the that that there was definitely a, a pretty decent difference between the MJC one and the MJC two. So yeah. Without Check being extreme, I think that's the point. It's not like here's an extreme no, no, sound. No, no. You not can still just use it, but yeah, more detail. There you go. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into the listener questions. All right. First one is from DJ. Um, oh, this is an interesting one. So I started playing drums about 10 years ago. I took lessons for a year and then had to stop for a while. Um, I never picked them up again, uh, but the dream and aspiration of, of being a touring, but is, the dream and aspiration has always been to be a touring drummer. This okay. was, I guess this was a, a while ago. So flash forward sure. to present day, uh, it came to actually chasing the dream. I realized I basically knew nothing. I feel as though I played drums along to my favorite bands for 10 years, but never practiced once. I don't know terminology or rudiments or none of the crucial things. Along with that, I moved to Nashville with a friend to do this thing. And it all fell apart, leaving me with no options in the famously saturated Music City. So my question to you guys is, putting yourself in my shoes in this situation, would, what would you do next? 
Like, would you wow. practice or would you attempt to find gigs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's putting it all on us. I know. I don't want to change your we life. Gotta, <laughs> yeah, we got we to fix this. Did we do this? We're not responsible for doing this. I don't okay. think I would have told anyone to move to Music City, but that's just me. Yeah. Well, first of all, dude, congrats for just chasing your dream. Uh, I think that that's that's something that a lot of people don't have the courage to do in the first place. So the fact that you did that is amazing. Now you have a better a better vantage point to understand that even if you're gonna even if you're gonna chase your dream, you still have to have a plan in place. Um, you still have to be great at your instrument. I mean, to me, once you get to Nashville, L.A., Atlanta, any any music city. It's a given that I wouldn't even question. Are you good? You better be. You shouldn't even be at the audition if you're not not great. Not even good. Yeah, great. Great. Yeah. Um, That's just not an option. Uh, Then after that, it's like, do I click with you? Do I like your vibe? Do I like how you're making the song feel? But so I think one thing would be, yes, you definitely need to start studying the instrument. And you don't have to do it in the way that we, that Mike and I did it as kids. It's not important for you to be out there reading, you know, symphonic band charts. It's just something where it's like it, it, there's nothing wrong with getting an outside perspective to help you clean things up. Um, also, narrow your focus. If you really know what kind of music you want to do, then be great at it rather than just yeah. being decent at 20 things. Um, what do you think, buddy? Well, the skill set involved, I mean, he wants to be a touring drummer with a Nashville artist. That's kind of what I'm seeing. So not a session sure. drummer. He wants to be a touring drummer. I think, okay. I think, number one, you've got to be able to play like dead solid time. Like you've got to mm-hmm. be able to put a metronome on and not waver, and turn the metronome off and not waver. Like that should be yeah. priority number one. Incredible sound. You should be very fluent in you know all the different grooves that you're hearing on the radio. So just study the crap out of of top forty country songs and see what are the grooves that keep popping up. Um, the sounds you're going to have to really get a good sound. That's really yeah. important. You know, learn how to tune your drums. You know, choose the right gear that you're hearing the guys using. You probably have to be able to chart chart out songs. I think you know, that's sure. going to be important because uh, it's a good possibility you might get a call for a, a show on a Thursday that's on Saturday and it's a whole night of music. And if you yeah. don't know how to chart it out, you're going to you can't memorize that much music. Whether it's the mistakes. Nashville number system or your own thing, you know. Um, I think actually you guys had a great article a couple years back with uh, Nate Morton on how he charts out the songs for The Voice. Yeah, um, right. it was really helpful to a lot of my students. So. And I think the other thing, too, is don't get stuck. If you want to do that, if you want to be a touring drummer with a Nashville band, don't get stuck in the social media world of the show-off drummers. Like You should be idolizing the guys that do what you want to do and be obsessing over those guys. What is Shannon Forrest doing? How do his drums sound? What's his technique like? Can you find any articles in Modern Drummer about his practice habits? Um, Rather than being like, well, I want to be a Nashville drummer. Oh, man, I love Matt Garska. It's like, cool. I do yeah. too, but it's not relative to your Those dreams. Tools. So yeah, yeah, he'll he'll be there when you're done. Don't worry. Like uh, so, yeah, well, the, the it, other thing is the uh, I'm finding more and more, especially touring guys, they have to be really fluent with electronics. So you've got to for sure get some sequencing software. Ableton Live is probably the most ubiquitous, and learn how to control a click track with your computer. And I mean, some of these setups are, are I mean. Uh, Matt, who plays with Taylor Swift, he did a clinic at PASIC, and his setup with her is just ridiculous. He's got pads everywhere. He's got triggers. He's, do- he's dropping in samples from the record. He's actually the one deciding what he's going to play live versus what's going to be in a loop. It's right. not like they just hand him a computer and say, everything's on here. Just play the song. 
right. he actually had to yeah. produce the live version of the song. Wow. So there's a lot more to it. I think it's not only it's impossible, but you're in the right place for it. I wouldn't give up, but uh, you got to stand out. You got to be great. I mean, that's yeah. really two words. You just got to be great. So go make sure you're hanging out where other guys, where the great guys are playing on a Wednesday yeah. night. And, and can I do that? Ask yourself, be honest. Can I do what he just did? If not, right. fix, fix the problems. Yeah. The other thing, too, that you could do that's a very practical thing is you said you're willing to take lessons. Why not take lessons with the guys that are doing it? So instead of finding the local drum teacher, find the local player and just say, hey, when you're in town, can I do a one-hour lesson with you? And that way in that lesson, you're going to learn some drumming from somebody that's doing what you want to do. But you'll, you'll learn more about their life and about what it takes to do what they're doing. And that'll probably help you more than the drum lesson will. Yeah, Rich Redman, Jim Riley, these guys yep. are all great teachers. Ben uh, Caesar. Ben Caesar, most of them most of them are great teachers as well. So yeah. Absolutely. You'll there figure you go. it out. Good luck. So the next one is from Kevin. Um this is a simple question, I guess, for me. So he's saying that um I'm always talking about how I'm surrounded by cardboard bo- boxes full of review gear. So his question is when reviewing a drum product, uh how bad does it have to be for you to not put it in the magazine? Oh, uh, I get this question a lot, and and you know when drum forums became the thing ten, twelve years ago, that was used as the slag on modern drummer was that we'd never we never say anything bad about stuff. We're always trying to right. find we only say good stuff, and then I was accused of being paid by the sponsors and all that. I mean, all this nonsense. And right, it comes down to the simple fact: uh, we're not here to ruin anyone's career, or I mean, that's not our job. We're not an expose magazine. Right. And uh, if something comes in and it doesn't function properly, or it's it just doesn't, it's not up to snuff. The first thing I do is contact the company and say, "Hey, I found these issues with this product. I'm happy to just send it back to you, and then we can discuss a future review later when improvements have been made." Yeah, because I honestly see no benefit in just wasting expensive page space. I mean, it's it's every word costs us money to print. Right. I see no point in spending a whole page to talk about how bad something is when there's 800 other things that are awesome <laughs> you know like no, i'd rather sense. share the stuff that I, that is awesome with with our readers so then they can go and check it out and maybe buy it for themselves rather than be like you know man i really gave it to them like what's the point in that it doesn't serve yeah anyone. no i but i think what it comes down to and the the confusion is that instead of reviewing everything and giving a fake positive spin you guys have just chosen not to review the things that you would have given a negative review to yeah a harshly negative in general i mean there there have been times over the years when i've pointed out certain little things like one of my pet peeves is is drum kits that that could sound great but they send them with really crappy heads so i i usually point that out but even that is becoming a moot point now because the even the the asian made heads are, are pretty good quality these days right so I mean, I haven't not said bad things, but I've never just been like 500 words is the worst piece of gear that I've ever seen. I mean, sure, it, I just don't review it. It just goes back to them. Uh, so that answers yeah. that. Uh, that said, I'll probably feel obligated to write a bad review tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> just to prove. <laughs> All right, next question comes from Ryan. He asks, uh, I was hoping you could describe the process of publishing a drum, drum transcription. So, for example, if Modern Drummer is interested in publishing a transcription of Neil Peart's parts to uh, Tom Sawyer, does the magazine contact Neil and ask for permission? Are there mm. other factors involved, and how is the process affected if the drummer is deceased? I would like to know that as well. Um, 
Unfortunately, just by copyright laws, drum parts cannot be copyrighted. So we don't legally have to get permission to publish any written drum part uh, by right. anyone ever. Um, and that, unless, no, I don't think ever actually. It's and it, there's also a murky line between when you go to sample a drum part. Like, do you have right, to? We've get talked the, about that. Yeah. But in general, publishing, it, it's for educational purposes. We don't have to get anyone's permission. We don't have to pay rights out to anyone. Uh, it's just kind of the way the law is written. But if if we have contact with the artist, it, it's possible if we have a specific question that we want them to check out, is this what you actually did? We might do that. But I was going to ask, have you, have you ever had an artist come to you and say, hey, that's not how I play that? The way you guys put it out. No, fortunately, I haven't had that. I've heard I've cool. heard drummers say that about transcriptions have been dead and published by other publications before, but sure. but I haven't had that yet. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so we try to be as accurate as possible. We we you know triple check, but in general, we don't have to have the drummer involved in that unless we want to. Uh, so that's gotcha. that. There uh, you go. Boom. Take that. All right, maybe one more. Let's see. Okay, this is from Adam. Um, I'm in a pop band, and I'm trying to get accurate kick and snare sounds on some of the more current songs. I realize that in a live situation, triggers are going to be the best way to do this. I have a uh, Roland SPDSX to run samples through, but I wondered if he had any experience with the different trigger types. Uh, he references D-Drum and Roland having good options, but is there anything else I need to know before jumping in? Take it away, Trigger yeah. Mike. <laughs> I mean, so I'm doing so much talking today. <laughs> That's good, man. I think you've got 52 more episodes to catch up, and then you'll, and then we'll be even with my blabbermouth. I mean, I think there's uh, – I would – just because you know it's going to work, I would check out the Roland triggers first because they're designed to work with their products. Um, that said, D-Drum's triggers are, are great, and they're classic, and Yamaha has new triggers out, and there's even – Pintech has some more cheaper ones that kind of stick on. They should all work fine. You might have to go in and adjust the sensitivity and threshold in the module to to make it compensate for slight different designs. But I don't think we have any issue with it just not working. Um, right. So I would find whatever, you know, think of a price range you've got and find the best option. I use the Roland Triggers, the older version of the Roland Triggers, and it's been going on three, four years of pretty regular abuse, and they've been, they've been fine. They've held up great. Um, awesome. So, yeah, I think I would start with Roland as your first option, but the other ones are awesome too. D drum is is a is a pretty much a legend in that that world of yeah. triggering. So they, those would also be great. All right, that's it for the questions. There you go. Boom. Not bad. Still have. All right, buddy. It's time more. for picks of the week. Indeed, you go first. I've been talking okay. too much. <laughs> uh, so last, I think it was last week that I yeah it must have been I mentioned uh, Sam Jones's podcast off camera. Yep. But it was episode 100 was my pick of the week, and that was with Ron Howard. Uh, and so this week, um, I've been since that episode, I've been watching his new series, Genius, on National Geographic's channel. Ooh. And it's the story of the life of Albert Einstein. And it's just uh, absolutely cool. incredible. Um, first of all, you've got Ron Howard and Brian Grazer directing a series for National Geographic. We're, we're kind of used to like when we see any dramatization on the science channel or national geographic it's it's pretty bad acting it's pretty mm-hmm. bad directing but it's fine they're going to get back to the good stuff later well this is you know uh academy award level directing and 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 screenplay and it's incredible and for somebody like me that's interested in certain 
parts of science. I mean, Einstein's name, it, it just never goes away when you're talking mm. about physics. And I, I know it's, it's, there's these huge gaps where I always wonder, like, wait a minute, I don't really understand how he was – what happened? Because he was a patent clerk. And then all of a sudden, he was the biggest genius we've ever had. <laughs> right. Was that his whole life? Like, I don't – at what point – because when you're that on that level, one, probably you yourself don't realize it. So that means that you can't tell anybody, hey, by the way, I'm 11 and I'm pretty smart. Yeah. And from my understanding, from the little things I'd read about him, it wasn't like that. He wasn't a child genius. It was like later in his life that the whole – world of physics started clicking for him while he was working in this um, patent office. And so I've kind of always wondered, like, well, what led up to, yeah, you're one of the smartest human beings to ever live. Mm. Uh, and you're and you're breaking so much ground. And I mean, we're still, we just proved one of his theories in the last two years at um, with the gravitational waves. So anyways, it, it really fills in the gap and it floats back and forth between his young life and then his later life. And what's really cool is the later life, the Albert Einstein that we all know visually in our head with the frizzy hair is played by the actor Jeffrey Rush, who is just absolutely incredible. So uh, check it out. You can you can go see it on National Geographic's website, and you can also obviously just see it on TV. But it's called Genius, and it's the story of Albert Einstein. You know, this this brings up a, a question I've been asking myself for years. Like, do you think it was easier to be a genius before we had such an information explosion? Like, before the information, in, in everything. Like, was it easier to be a genius in 1920 than it is in 2010? Is it easier to be, I mean, I'm thinking even in sports, like, of course, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, but he was kind of a revolutionary player, whereas now everyone in basketball plays Michael Jordan's style of basketball. Yeah, I mean, you you would have to kind of reinvent the position a little bit, do it differently. I mean, right now, we know that LeBron James is the best player in basketball, but we're still giving all the attention to Isaiah Thomas because he's five foot eight. Right, and it's just and he's just slashing and cutting, and it's like, and obviously he's going through so much in these playoffs, and just got his tooth knocked out, <laughs> sister and everything um, passing away while doing this. But anytime somebody does something different, it's going to stick out. And I think that you're right. It's I can't even handle how much greatness happens in a day for me. So I see it all day on the internet. I get home, and then it's Steve Harvey hosting this show about kids that are special and they're doing things that no one can do then i change the channel to the voice some guy singing things that no one's ever (laughs) saying next channel america's got talent it's like nine kids from china throwing each up throwing each other in the air and i'm just like holy (laughs) hell i mean am i just a loser i I stumbled on that there's like a cooking show with with children like a contest yeah i can remember what it's called master chef junior or something yeah something like that yeah i know exactly what you're talking about i mean it's like seven to 12-year-old kids making meals that, that, I mean, people who get masters in culinary arts couldn't quite create. So, And so the question really is, were they doing that 100 years ago and no one knew about it because we had no way to spread that information? Or mm-hmm. are people being pushed to greatness because it can be seen and you can get recognition for it? You know, What's going to um, take it? My question is, what does it take to be a genius in, in 2017? Like in 1945... Charlie Parker was a genius because he decided I'm not going to play the melody deliberately. I'm going to I'm going to play all the chords and I'm going to superimpose all these chords that work within that melody. But if you really look at it, it's it's referencing Johann Sebastian Bach the way he wrote music. 
but he's a genius because he was the first kind of the person to do that in a way right. that like, whoa, we never heard anyone play a pop song without really ever playing the melody, but it's still beautiful. Right. And, but now the saxophone players are all doing that. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, Max Roach at the time, all... no one had played a drum solo over a, a bass line vamp before. Obviously, he's a genius, but yeah, I mean, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, and so that's, I mean, that's probably why I get so upset with things like drum covers where i'm like oh man they already did all the hard work you got to take it somewhere new you gotta <laughs> yeah. push yeah i i, I totally where does agree. it go it's, it's, that's the question i don't know like how do you <laughs> become a genius in 2017 well we do i i will say this and just from being a teacher since i was 17 so for the last 23 years we do slide backwards into the genius of simplicity about every five or six years because we'll push it as you know, as animals, as leaders, and as periphery as we can, and then all of a sudden it'll spring backwards to Jim Keltner. Yeah, and, right, right. And then that's the new genius is playing less. Um, or maybe sometimes it's more Nate Smith. It's like, oh, you're still playing a ton of stuff, but only kick, snare, and hats. Yeah. Um, kick, snare, and hair. Uh, so, <laughs> by the way, I saw that uh, that uh, listener submitted T-shirt design. That was pretty dope. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty dope. Um but yeah, I, I'm with you. But I think, but it definitely doesn't keep going forward all the time as far as complexity. Um, and so, I mean, the next genius in physics will be the person that makes the the E equals MC squared statement. It's like, well, what is the sim- simple theory of everything? You yeah. Know? It's like, oh, we figured it all out. It's string theory. Let me explain it to you. Nine hours later, there's your theory, and I'm like, yeah, you're gonna have to condense that one, homie. <laughs> like, that's just that's not quite. Uh, you know, E equals MC squared. Yeah, so it's interesting. So, I yeah. think of like Tesla. I mean, he made an electric car. Well, people have been talking about electric cars for decades, but he made. Oh, you mean one. Elon Musk? Yeah, yeah, the Tesla yeah, yeah. car. Yeah, not yeah. Tesla, the scientist. But <laughs> it's like he's he's. I'm sure his brain is way more advanced than most people. But he made a simple thing. He made a simple decision. I'm going to make a car that runs on electricity. Yeah, and now he's he's a genius for that. But right, well, and 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 that's the other thing with with Elon. It's like, what kind of genius is he? Is he a tech genius or is he a business genius? Because he, you know, he did PayPal, then Tesla, yeah, right. then um, became the CEO of Solar City, and then SpaceX. Um, from what I understand, he actually does have his hand in quite a bit of that stuff. He's not just he's not Steve Jobs. Um, he's actually one of the head engineers there so mm. yeah I, i'm with you man and, and and who knows which ones are geniuses in our presence right now that are just our buddies and we're taking it for granted but 40 yeah. years from now people will revere them i i promise i hope he doesn't listen to this podcast or this episode but i sometimes feel like that when i'm hanging out or watching mark juliana play yeah i'm like i i really think we're you know 20 or 30 years away from people asking me you knew that dude Hopefully yeah. he's still alive. And I'm like, no, I still know him. <laughs> but yeah, but, well, uh, I mean, then you've got Zach Danziger, who Mark will thing. say is his hero, and, and I think he's right. so underrated because he's doing stuff that people don't quite comprehend. I think that might be it. You're probably right. Totally. History takes a time for it to be like, yeah, oh yeah, he was doing that 25 years ago. <laughs> I had I had some campers tell me like they were talking about the sensory percussion thing. I'm like, no, dude, you can like trigger sounds on your drums. You know, I mean, they're these are guys that just haven't kept up on all of social media. I'm like. Do you want to see what triggering really is? Let me show you this video of Zach. See yeah. that video behind him? He's triggering the video like and the sounds, and he's making a conversation out of little samples. Yeah. That dude's on another planet. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. What is your pick of the week, buddy? My pick of the week is definitely not genius, but maybe it's genius. Um, 
I played a magnetic a, drum key. <laughs> I played a, a pretty heavy gig on Friday, and I knew I was going to be sweating because it was in a small club that I knew it was going to be hot. So I took a. I had this laying around forever, but I never really used it. It's a little container of Gorilla Snot drumstick grip. Yeah, know exactly which, what it is. Yeah. yeah, I'd never have used any kind of grip stuff before, but I knew I was going to forget a towel, and I did. And we got one song in, and my hands were just dripping, and you know, the same old thing. I'm having to squeeze the stick, and I can feel the blisters coming on. Oh boy! So I just I had this in my cymbal bag. So in between songs, I grabbed it, put a little bit in the palm of my hand, and just kind of worked it onto the stick. It's pretty tacky, so I yeah. wouldn't I wouldn't use it all the time. But in this emergency situation, where I was like, I'm going to hurt myself if I don't do something, yeah. it was a great solution. So it just gave me a little extra tackiness so in certain parts of the songs when i didn't need to have a real firm technique i could basically open my fulcrum up almost all the way and just hold it, and it with sticks like, to your hands yeah, yeah it just kind of sticks i was holding it with the pinky and the ring finger for backbeats and it didn't it didn't get all slippery as it usually does so so if you cool. don't have a meet and greet right after the gig it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. you know and you it actually shaking people's hands it actually what came it? off pretty easily like i mean i just rubbed it on my jeans but it came off pretty quickly really? after the gig okay yeah. cool I didn't, I didn't have to wash my hands afterwards so it, it is, it's like seven bucks for a little tube it's like a quarter size nice. tube kind of like what you get chapstick some chapsticks come in those like quarter size containers that's funny I actually use uh, in a pinch worst case scenario uh, I use Burt's Beeswax lip balm on my sticks oh yeah um, yeah, I just I go, okay, well, I guess I'm throwing this one out, and I just rub it all up and down the sticks, kind of like sex wax on a surfboard. Yeah, yeah. And it gets me through the clinic, you know, because sometimes I fly into a country, and I, I mean, I'll check the weather, but I don't, you know, my iPhone doesn't tell me the humidity. And I get there, and I'm like, oh, boy, it's moist here. <laughs> I'm like, that's going to be a slippery night on the old sticks. And so, yeah, so then I just, uh, Burt's Bees, but, I, but that Gorilla Snot, I've used that before, and it's it's great for that. Yeah, it's definitely something that'll just stay in my my cymbal bag or stick bag or something for these like outdoor gigs this summer coming up. I know I'm going to need yeah. it, you know, because I, I, it's just torture for me to try to hold onto a stick when I'm sweaty. They just they yeah. just start going all over. And then the your place. technique goes. Oh, then the whole thing just it's it's not fun. So. Yeah, no. So that's it. Gorilla's not. It's a not genius name, but it's a pretty genius product. <laughs> I don't think sex wax is any better. That's that's a tough one to bring up to mom when you're 11. Hey, yeah. Mom, I need some sex wax. Never mind. I'll just, <laughs> just try to steal it. All right. Well, everybody, thanks again for listening. And please, if you want to send in your email questions, you can do that at mdinfo@moderndrummer.com. That was episode 91. We're coming up on episode 100. We have some really cool things planned for episode 100, so we, we can do. fill you in on that in the next couple of weeks. Until then, have a great week, buddy. See you later.